Okay. There was a lot going on there. The camera set up, light changes, microphones being turned on. It's all good. <clears throat> it's a really good crowd we have this morning. It's great to see you all. <clears throat> I'm very happy to be here, to be able to stand before you and to bring you a lesson from God's Word. We have been doing a series which really kind of led up to the history of the church and then going on sort of continuing a history of the church where John last week talked about the doctrine of the apostles what the the and it comes from the same scripture that we're going to see is everything good there microphone okay it really continues from Acts chapter 2 verse 42 where the first century Christians upon the day of Pentecost when they heard the gospel preached for the very first time, those that gladly received the word were baptized and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine was very important to the first century church and it should be very important to us today because this doctrine that was preached there on Pentecost Day, when the church was formed, is the same doctrine that we should be preaching today. It's the only doctrine that will save you. There's no other doctrines out there that we can take, that we can improve upon, that will save us. Now, there's been several doctrines throughout the years that have come about, that have sprung up, but none of them have the saving power that the gospel of Christ has. Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 16, to take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save yourself and those that hear you. The doctrine was vitally important to the early church. It's what set them apart from the rest of the world. They no longer followed that old Levitical law of Moses with the sacrificing of blood of bulls and goats. They didn't fit into that category no more. Nor did they fit into the category of the Romans who worshipped every other god under the sun that they could think of. They had so many of them. We could call out any kind of name right now and I'm sure they probably worshipped it. They didn't follow after the many false gods. And because they didn't follow the Levitical law anymore, they didn't follow after the gods of the Roman Empire, they didn't really fit in in that culture. They considered this to be a new doctrine. The people around them, the Jews and the Romans, they were like, what is this new doctrine that you're teaching? Paul, as he was traveling and preaching the word everywhere he went, he went to Areopagus, and they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. And as you know, he's in the midst of Mars Hill here, and he's, he's standing there to all these altars. And he sees that one to the unknown God, and he says, Let me tell you about this unknown God of whom you ignorantly worship. And he begins to tell them about Jesus and salvation through him. This was the only doctrine that the early century church was concerned with. But it wasn't just the doctrine that they steadfastly held to. 
They steadfastly held to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Now, it wasn't just this doctrine of salvation that they had because each one of them individually that received that word on the day of Pentecost carried this new doctrine with them. So if I had heard that word and I received it, was baptized, and whatever country or city I had come from, I would go back to that place and I would carry that doctrine with me. Each one of these people, of these 3,000 and then another 5,000 and then the multitude, everyone that had heard this word and received it carried this with them. But as I said, they had a problem in the first century church in that they didn't fit in. They didn't fit in with the Jews. The Jews hated them. Whenever we talk about persecution of the early church, it wasn't just from the Roman Empire. The, the first persecutions against the church came from the Jews who wanted to eradicate this blasphemous doctrine out of the world. And then the Roman Empire got into it. It says, so continuing daily in verse 46, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. This doctrine that they now followed set them apart from the rest of the world. And they met house to house initially. And there's a reason why they met house to house. Now, a few years ago, maybe more than that now, I'll lose track of time. I had a sit down talk with someone who we were going to church with and they ended up wanting to break away from the church for this, for this verse right here. They said, no, 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 the first century Christians They didn't go to a centralized building to worship God together. They met house to house. And if we want to scripturally be like the first century church, we need to worship in each other's houses. So I asked him, why did they meet in each other's houses? We already briefly talked about it. They they met in each other's houses because one of the persecution that was brought upon them for this new doctrine, this blasphemous doctrine as the Jews saw it, And, of course, this uprising, the Jews putting pressure on the Romans, bringing in more, if you will, persecution, and therefore they didn't fit in in society. They met in each other's houses because of that. Who was going to sell them a piece of land to build a building for them? That wasn't going to happen. No one accepted them. The Romans looked at them as atheists. They looked at them as cannibals. They didn't accept all the other gods. They just had that one God that they worshipped. And so they continued daily. It wasn't just a weekly thing for them. It wasn't a yearly thing for them. This was an everyday thing where they carried this doctrine of salvation with them everywhere. And they fellowshiped with one another because they didn't fit in with the rest of society. They didn't have a building. Persecution was a real problem. And Jesus warned his disciples about the persecution that was going to come. They couldn't just say, hey, we're going to meet at this building on this day because the persecutors would come and get them and haul them off to prison or stone them or kill them, whatever they wanted to do to them. Continuing daily, it says, what does this verse mean? And the truth is, I don't know, is it talking about a common meal 
Or is it talking about communion? I think verse 42 is pretty clear. I think we're talking communion there. Verse 46 where he says, Continuing daily with one accord and breaking a bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I think that's clear. I think this is a common meal. But a lot of people have issues with it. It becomes a, a little bit of controversy. Because they say, well, this has nothing to do with um, um, the communion. It has to do with the common meal. And while others will say it has nothing to do with the common meal, has everything to do with communion. I don't know. But I think we're missing the point here of what they're trying to make. The point that they're trying to make, or at least how I take it, is the desire that they had daily to be around like-minded people. You see, they now had a common glue, a goal that bonded them together. This love for Christ, this love for one another, the gift of salvation that they now have, the, the source of hope that no one else in the world had but them. They didn't fit in with anyone else in society. They only fit in with one another because they only worship one God. And they believed in Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead. And so they tried their best to be around one another as often as they could. And daily, it says, they would go. Whether the apostles were going and teaching from house to house and teaching in the, in the temple. Or whether these people who had gladly received the word were going forth and carrying it to their homes, carrying it to their families, to their friends, to their neighbors. <clears throat> it was the sharing of the communion and the sharing of the gospel and the sharing of each other's lives that they had. And really it's something that I think, and Zane Zebok did a great sermon on this. Y'all can listen to it on their podcast over this very subject, this commonality that they had with one another that drew them together. They wanted to be around one another. Their strength in being around fellow Christians. And to go off and be apart all by yourself is a dangerous thing. Acts chapter 5, 42, he says, And daily in the temple and every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The apostles taught it daily in the temple. Every house, as I mentioned. However, they faced great persecution because of it. In Acts chapter 7, Acts, just throughout the book of Acts, as we studied the book of Acts, they went forth preaching and teaching and the more they taught publicly, the more persecution coming down on them. The churches of Asia uh, greet you, it says. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with a church that is in your house. They did meet in people's houses. And there was a reason for that because of the persecution that they faced. They had no choice but to meet in each other's houses. If you ever look at, there's, there's maps you can get of persecuted lands such as North Korea, China, places like that. A lot of the Asian countries, most of Africa, a lot of these are persecuted lands. And to be a Christian is against the law. And a lot of people that worship God in those countries worship house to house. They call it <clears throat> the underground churches nowadays because 
They're just not a centralized place that they can meet and worship. Philemon 1 and 2 says, Beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church in your house. There's nothing wrong with worshiping God in your house. If that's the place that you got to worship God, then by all means, worship God there. You know, Michael McCorkle, as he talked about persecution that these people faced, this was something real. I mean, it's, it's one thing for us to sta- stand up here and say, you know, persecution or not, we're coming to the building, but are we really? What if today, whenever you got home, because you came to this building today, all of a sudden some police force shows up and drags you out of your house because you chose to worship God here today? That's something that some Christians and other nations, like I mentioned, face today. They face this kind of persecution, and the early church faced this persecution, but they stuck together. And I, really, one of the key things in this persecution, not only did it bring out a lot of Christianity, did it spread Christianity, but it also grew that fellowship, that love for one another that people had. It brought people together, this form of persecution. Peter was called to Cornelius to come preach to his house. It said that Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon Peter to his house and to hear his words that he would speak to them. So it wasn't uncommon in these days for us to read about them going from house to house preaching the word of God. And teaching. It may not be ideal to preach house to house. And maybe the idea of it really seems foreign to us. But for them this was what they had. And it wasn't going to be until another 300 years after Christ died. That they would actually be able to come out of the house to house worship. And to begin to worship openly. That was when Constantine took over. The problem was. They were worshiping house to house, and those who were persecuting them knew that they were meeting house to house. They just had to follow them to the right house. Acts chapter 8 verse 3 says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. They were in a world that was set against them, and all they had was one another to lean upon. That was all they had for comfort, for support, for prayers, for uplifting. That was all they had was one another. And so because of that, fellowship grew. And they shared that commonality, that bond with Christ and them that glued them together. Who else could they lean on? They couldn't go to anyone else for comfort, for support, for understanding. The persecution then strengthened the fellowship that they had with each other. And I believe, as Michael McCorkle said, persecution may be coming upon this land. I mean, there's forms of it, but for us to write something on Facebook about Christ and for them to censor it is completely different than what these guys went through in the first century. Fellowship in Acts 2.42 comes from the Greek word, and I practiced this several times before I got up here, And I'm still not going to say it right. Kononia. Good enough? Maybe. 
It just means partnership. That is literally participation or social intercourse or pecuniary benefaction to communicate, communication, communion, contribution, distribution, fellowship. The early Christians had fellowship one with another. They had communion one with another. They relied upon each other for strength, for prayers, for worship. This wasn't something that they had in common with everyone else in the world because no one else really understood why they only worshiped one God, why they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. <clears throat> and because of that, they tried to stick to one another. They hung around with one another. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians rather, 6 and 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness. The word communion there is that same Greek word, fellowship. 2842. Parents used to tell their kids, be careful who you hang around with. And for a good reason, Paul would tell people evil communications will corrupt good manners. It's important who we spend our time with. If we hang around with people of the world, we begin to corrupt ourselves to the things of the world. But if we hang around and spend our time in fellowship with people of the church, then we grow stronger in our bond for Christ and our love for one another. And we need to take heed to that ourselves. Our desire should not be to entertain the peoples of the world, but rather to spend time with one another because it's in those times that we draw our strength, that we're strengthened, that we're lifted up. Ecclesiastes, of course, 4 and verse 10, he says, For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone. When he falls, he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can, they be how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Our strength comes from one another. Our strength comes for the love and the bond and the commonality that we have that draws us out of the world and brings us closer to one another, knits us together sets us apart from the world. And I can personally tell you, and maybe some of you have experienced the same thing, how hard it is whenever you're alone and apart from the church and from brothers and sisters in Christ. How hard it is whenever the only person you have around you are those of the world and no one else. It's hard. And I'm so glad that I'm back here in Pampin around you all. But when you get in that situation where you're alone and you got no strength from one another, it's a terrible feeling. It's an empty feeling. It's a hollow feeling. <clears throat> you wonder why so many people in the world are depressed, are sad, are withdrawn. It's because they don't have any hope and they don't have anyone around them to strengthen them. They only have other people who are around them who are also hopeless. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of gentleness, consider in yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. <clears throat> you who are spiritual, restore such a one. 
if you're isolated, and isolation is a terrible thing, if you're isolated all by yourself away from those in the church, it's dangerous. And if you begin to fall away and slip away from Christ, there's no one around you to bring you back up. There's no one around you to pull you back in before you get too far out. It's a very, very important thing for the first century church that they stuck around one another, that they hung around, that they were in each other's houses daily, that they were having meals together, that they were just sharing fellowship in each other's lives because it kept them afloat in a world that was set against them. They stayed in constant fellowship for that reason. They were noticeably different than the other people who were around them. They had that common bond in Christ that they believed that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day, that his blood washes away their sins through baptism. And that was blasphemous to the Jews who wanted to eradicate that from the world. But that just drew them closer together. It changed their lives. It was something that they didn't just hear and receive it and go home and say, I'm good. They lived it every day of their lives, and they carried this with them, this hope, and they shared it openly, though it meant persecution would come upon them. They met privately in each other's homes because they didn't have a central building that they could worship in. No one was going to give that to them. They broke bread together. That's one reason why we met this morning, so that we could also break that bread. Because it was so important to them to remember this doctrine, to hold on to the doctrine. They continue steadfastly, not just in the apostles' doctrine, not just in fellowship, but also in breaking of bread. This was something that they did weekly. Any historian of the first century church you're going to read about, this was something that they did weekly. And as the years have gone on in church history, you can see where some churches broke away from that and said, you don't do this weekly because it takes away from the meaning of the Lord's Supper. But the first century Christians did do it weekly. And they did it weekly because they constantly wanted to remind themselves of what Jesus did for them on the cross. That he paid their sins. That penalty of of sin that they were going to inquire or, or take on, Jesus took that from them. They wanted to remember it. They wanted to share it with others. Acts chapter 20, verse number 7 says, Now on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message till midnight. It was upon the first day of the week when they did this. And that's the example that we have, and that's why we do it. Upon the first day of the week. This wasn't their holy day that they had. Their holy day was Saturday, right? The Sabbath. And so the first day of the week, this was a work day for them. They went out, they worked, and then whenever they finished working, they came to this. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For, though we, for, though, for we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. They partook of the communion of Christ once a week on the first day of the week. This was done to remember what the Lord did for them. And they did this 
together in part of their fellowship, in part of their prayers, in part of their house-to-house worship. They didn't want to forget that sacrifice. And we should also, as we are getting closer to the communion this morning, focus our hearts and focus our minds upon what Jesus did for us so that we can carry that with us when we go from this place of worship. We can carry that hope that we have in Christ, that we partook of in Christ, and we can share that with those who are hopeless. Believe me, there's a lot of them out there. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's why they continued to do that. That's why they continued weekly to do it. It wasn't something that they said, well, let's not do it too often, because if we do it too often, we're just, it makes it meaningless. It doesn't make it meaningless. Not if you put your heart and your mind in the right place. My heart may be in my head today, you never know. It's our focus, it's our intention upon it. That's what brings about that fellowship that we seek. That fellowship not just with one another, that communion not just with one another, but the fellowship and communion that we have with Christ as we partake in that communion. So as we close, the church grew rapidly in the first century. It grew rapidly because of persecution that was on it. As Michael McCorkle talked about, a good example, as they began to stomp out the Christians just like an ant bed, they'd stomp it out here, it would grow over here and grow over there, and they would go over here and try to stomp it out, and it would grow over there, and it just spread like fire throughout that world because this message was a message like none other that they had ever heard, and it brought hope to those who heard it. It brought hope to not only Jews, just like Paul, who had received it later, but it also brought hope to the Romans, who were worshiping all these other gods. And throughout history, through the different various pagans that would hear this word, it brought hope. It grew rapidly. They faced fierce persecution by both the Jews and the Romans, but they held steadfastly to the apostles' doctrine that was given to them because they knew that there was no other doctrine given that would save people. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. That's something that we need to do today as well, to take heed to that doctrine, to take heed to ourselves, to have fellowship with one another. The persecution that caused the church to grow and it caused not only the church to grow, but it caused that reliance for one another that we saw so prevalent in the first century church. It did not stop them from worshiping God or from partaking of the communion. And because of that, they remain close to one another. And I believe those are all good goals that we should have today as we look at the church, as we consider the first century church and all that they went through. Look at what they did, how they withstood those things. It was because they relied upon each other and they held true to the doctrine. And we can do that today. The lesson is yours. If there's someone here this morning who has never been obedient to the gospel, who has never uh, received the blood of Christ to wash away your sins, the time to do that is now. 
to have your sins taken away, to be born again, to have that hope that the first century Christians had, the same hope that we have today. Or if there's someone here who has gone astray, who find themselves out in that isolation that I talked about, you don't have to be in isolation anymore. Come back to the fold while you still can. The lesson's yours as we stand and sing the song selected.